You're now tuned in to VC Cheat Sheet, the podcast that gives entrepreneurs straight to the point information and behind the scenes access on raising money. Brought to you by the Center for Urban Entrepreneurship and Economic Development at Rutgers University. You're listening to VC Cheat Sheet and I'm your host, Melissa S. Jackson. If this is your first time listening, then thank you for tuning in. And if not, thanks for coming back. The goal of the podcast is to help Black and Latino-led startups gain insight into the world of venture and private capital through mentorship and advice. Come back often and feel free to add the podcast to your favorite RSS feed or iTunes. You can also follow us on Twitter at The Q, that's T-H-E-C-U-E-E-D. All the links are provided in the show notes at bccheatsheet.com. Now let's get into the show. We all know in life, there's levels to everything. So I sat down with Bradley Miles, analyst of the Stripes Group, to talk through the different levels of funding in the VC world. The Stripes Group is not your average VC firm. They exclusively invest in later stage startups. So if you aren't sure what stage you're in, you could be wasting your time reaching out to random VCs. But don't worry, we got you. We'll talk a little bit about the difference between seed stage and late stage startups, and we'll get a sneak peek into his book, Break Into VC. Listen in. Okay, so talk to me about what you're doing now. Okay, so, yeah. So so two weeks ago, I published this book, Break Into VC. Two weeks? Yeah. We're like in the launch phase of this book. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So so last year, I wrote it last year. Break Into VC is the name of the book. Yeah, hashtag Break Into VC. So. Um, you don't have to say hashtag. I don't know. Usually I just say break in the VC. Okay. But yeah, so I spent about six months writing it last year, about three months editing uh-huh. and came out two weeks ago. And to my surprise, it hit number one on Amazon and venture capital. Congrats. There was a huge response. And um, ever since then, I've been touring the country. So um, there was a moment a week ago, two weeks ago, actually, where the book had just come out right. and it was number one. And I was speaking at the college I just graduated from, Columbia, hosted by an organization that I started, Columbia Venture Partners. Yes. And it was just like a, it's just like a one, it's just like a moment from up above. Um, so I really appreciated that. And um, the book launched two weeks ago, became a bestseller and just started touring. So I've spoke at, uh, you know, Columbia, Wharton, Brown right. University, Harvard, and most importantly, um, really just got a chance to get on the phone with readers mm-hmm. um, from all over the world, Middle Perfect. East, Africa, Cambodia, high school students, uh, you know, people that are senior executives at IBM, mm-hmm. everyone's sort of curious on understanding the fundamentals of venture capital. Right. And I'm more than happy to get on the phone with uh, with them. And, you know, for any of your listeners, if you guys simply just purchase the book, I think right now I up the price a little bit. So it used to be 99 cents. Now it's like two ninety nine. Um, but if anyone, you can splurge two ninety nine is a splurge, <laughs> but so, I think they could do it. So yeah, if anyone's interested in, in, in getting the book and learning about sort of the path to think like an investor, which just means learning how to perhaps raise capital right. or pursue a career in venture capital. Right. Um, more than happy to hop on the phone for like a 20 minute Skype session. If, um, okay. you know, they just email me Bradley at break into VC. So I've been doing about 30 or 40 of those and I try and do about like 10 a week. Perfect. Okay. So we'll make sure that, um, you know, we'll include that in the notes. So let's talk and let's break into um, how you got uh, the inspiration to 
put together Break Into VC. Sure. So, you know, what kind of birthed this book? And then let's talk a little bit about the book itself, because you think in the book, you talk a little bit about um, the various levels to private capital. Yeah. So let's start with, you know, how, how this all kind of manifested itself. Yeah. So, so, you know, so like I said, I transferred to Columbia from a, from a community college, um, which had sort of its own stigma, but I think going in, you know, I was like, Hey, I want to work in venture capital and everyone, a hundred percent of the people were just like, well, first you need to work at wall street for three years and then mm. you need to do this for another three years. Then you need to go to this fancy business school and then maybe you can get an interview. So I started going down that path. And the first thing they said is you have to work in investment banking. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I typed in how to get into investment banking and talked to some friends. And turns out there was a guide out there called Wall Street Oasis. Um, there's another guide called Mergers and Inquisitions. These are like blogs to talk about how to do it. So I did it. I did banking for a summer and um, grueling 120 hour weeks and, mm. you know, 4 a.m. nights uh, that didn't bother me much. What really bothered me was the culture. So people, analysts would sort of, you know, just sort of do their work. And then once the partners would leave, it was almost as if everyone sort of didn't like their job. They were kind of putting on a mask. And for me, that's when I realized like culture was really important for me. Yeah. Just sort of understanding that I want to be in a place where everyone else is really, really happy. Right. Um, and what do you think kind of contributed to the negative culture? Right. Was um, it was probably I don't want to get too into it because everyone knows where I work. OK, uh, we can skip over that question. No, 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 it's it, no, it's it's <laughs> fine. It's just I mean, it's the culture of banking in general. It's really right. grueling. They very much need like warm bodies to type as fast as they can in Microsoft Excel. OK, um, but I mean, what you learn is incredible. You really come out a machine. You really come out knowing everything about valuation. Right. I worked on deals that were like Madison Square Garden split into two public companies, like the real estate and the channel. And I like I worked on that deal. I was one of the lead people that was sort of crunching numbers on it. So I learned a ton, but I turned it down. And, um, you know, I decided to sort of, you know, just I didn't have any leads, but I really wanted to work in venture capital. So I just hustled and I cold emailed 60 VCs mm-hmm. and one responded, um, a company called Next Gen Angels. Now they're called Next Gen Venture Partners. They've right. since raised over $15 million. And my job then was to source people. Uh, so I sourced high net worth individuals, mm-hmm. angel investors, C-suite level startup guys. And I tried to convince them to join Next Gen Angels so they could have a New York chapter. Mm-hmm. And then now they have about 50, 50 members. So a lot of that was me sourcing them. Mm-hmm. And um, around that time, I got really comfortable talking with, um, you know, talking with investors, realizing, hey, these are just humans. These are just people. Right. Um, and, you know, through that, I learned how to source companies. I learned how to, you know, evaluate markets. I learned all these things that a lot of my friends weren't learning. And um, I realized eventually you know, there was no guide out there. There was no Wall Street Oasis. There was no mergers and inquisitions guide. And I was really searching for one. So, you know, when push comes to shove, I realized... Um, Go ahead and I, create that own op- your own opportunity yeah. and create the book. Yeah, originally I, I thought I thought of it as sort of, um, you know, a problem. Uh, but, but then I, I really thought about it for a long time and I realized this is a huge opportunity. Yeah. And I just went from there. Yeah. So that's actually why we have you here today to really break down. You know, I feel like in tech, 
just in general, there are all these key buzzwords. People hear seed funding and, you know, it can mean a various, various things to different people. So let's kind of start at the bare bones, how you can raise money for your venture. So let's assume I am a uh, owner, founder of a tech company. Where do I start? Very basic. So do you... Do you have Friends a team? And family? Do you have a product? Like, where, where are we? Yeah. So, you know, does it, I mean, do you think it would necessarily matter if I have a team or I don't? Because I have a lot of people who will come to us, who will say, or come to me and say, you know, I've got a great idea. Mm-hmm. I've got an MVP. I've got a product. Mm-hmm. I was able to get that far. MVP meaning minimum viable Minimum product. viable product, okay. right? So, you know, what's, what's, What's the option for them at that stage? Wow, that's a really good question. So if you're a first-time entrepreneur, you're going to need to prove yourself to the market, I'll say, or to you know private investors. Uh, so the first thing you need to do is just develop a really strong team. Okay. Um, if you don't code, uh, I'd recommend, I have a friend named Amos Schur. Mm-hmm. Uh, he runs, I hope I'm saying his last name right, it's S-C-H-O-R-R. Mm-hmm. And he runs a group called ProtoHack. Mm-hmm. And ProtoHack is a hackathon for people that don't code. So a lot of people are looking for coders to sort of start their their, um, their project. And it's great if you find one. But if you just have no connections with people that program whatsoever, mm-hmm. you could actually jump into a ProtoHack hackathon and sort of iterate your idea uh, from the business stage. Right. Um, yeah. And, and there's also a ton of programs to learn how to code as well and also sort of um, co-founder dating programs where you, where you could meet developers. So once you have a strong team of, you know, maybe perhaps you're a business leader, maybe you are a developer, um, then you need to start sort of building a pitch deck. Mm-hmm. And your pitch deck should focus on, um, you know, the problem in the market that you're trying to solve, how you're going to solve it, and how you're uniquely positioned um, to sort of, you know, right. stand out from the competition. Right. Okay. So let's actually kind of assume that I've got, I've gone through that program and I've got my MVP. Am I ready for seed funding? Am I ready for series A funding? Can I go for crowdfunding options? I mean, what, where are my options there? Or let's, let's actually start talking about what is crowdfunding? Yeah. Yeah. So, so crowdfunding, so some crowdfunding platforms are Indiegogo, Kickstarter, And these are platforms essentially where you can have an idea, um, you know, you can have a product sort of, you can almost sort of launch pre-product and essentially put your product on Kickstarter or Indiegogo Mm -hmm. and, um, you know, raise money from your, raise money for your project um, from people like you and me, instead of, instead of going out and looking for, you know, VCs from Andreessen Horowitz or mm-hmm. you know, any of these venture firms, um, folks like you and me uh, could, um, you know, donate or, or, or invest money in the project since in the past year or so. Um, so there's Obama era regulation called the Jobs Act that just went into effect. And now people like you and me um, can invest up to $2,000 a year in um in uh, startups on mm-hmm. platforms like Indiegogo and Kickstarter. So that's a relatively new thing. Um, but in general, these places, crowdfunding, it's a way for people like you and me to essentially just go out there and raise money for our, our projects. I have friends that have raised upwards of a quarter million dollars uh, you know, on Kickstarter and Indiegogo. So if I do a crowdfunding uh, platform on, let's say, Indiegogo, am I responsible 
to the people who've contributed to my crowdfund? Any type of equity or how does that work? Yeah, so there's there's been a lot of hiccups uh, in crowdfunding. You're not necessarily legally responsible to deliver um, maybe like a founder dinner or something if someone donates. Actually, candidly, I have friends that you know didn't fall didn't fall um, follow through on, on some of their some of their pledges. But um, uh, the regulations kind of gray right now mm-hmm. um, since it's so new uh, uh, relating to to sort of equity. And, and there are actually some crowdfunding platforms that that are sort of staying away from it. But I think that's sort of um, to be continued in terms of um, you know what sort of um, um, you know, uh, obligatory for um, for investors and um, founders to sort of follow through with. Okay. Can you talk me through seed funding? I get a lot of people who will come and say, you know, I'm just looking for seed funding. And that yeah. can be anything from maybe $1,000 up to, you know, $50,000, right? Yeah. So um, talk me through seed funding. Sure, sure, sure. So I would just say for the listeners out there that are in college or in business school uh, or, you know, at maybe at most, maybe two years out of school, uh, there's so much money uh, for students uh, that want to sort of, um, you know, start companies. Uh, a, a lot of a lot of institutions have funding just for students and business accelerators, business incubators. Um, there's also groups like uh, you know dorm room fund, contrary capital, rough draft ventures, and these are these are groups run by students um, that have venture capital money to invest in the student ecosystem. Mm-hmm. Uh, one thing I did at Columbia was I started sort of an education curriculum called Columbia Venture Partners um, that really focused on. Sort of students, um, you know, learning about venture capital. Um, but additionally, there, there's uh, there's a lot of programs at schools uh, that uh, sort of revolve around business accelerators, uh, mm-hmm. where they sort of deploy seed capital to students. But in general, seed capital is just you know. So not not all the teams that come to us are students too. So okay, yeah. We actually have a lot of, or the, the program that we're working on isn't geared specifically towards students. If mm-hmm. students want to apply, definitely we encourage them to. Um, but, you know, we're really talking to just the run of the mill, run of the mill, right? Quote, unquote, uh, tech startup founder who's black sure. and Latino. Sure, sure, sure. Um, yeah. So so even before seed, um, there's, there's a small little known secret called, um, you know, friends and family round. Mm hmm or FF round. And at that round, you're going around to, you know, maybe your uncle who has some money or you know, a relative or, or a friend right. of the family um, that really just believes in you can help you out. Right. Um, you got to be a little wary because you got to think about, you know, five, 10 years down the line. If, if your crazy uncle wasn't a high net worth individual or someone that sort of, you know, makes over a hundred, hundred fifty thousand dollars and he wants to invest in your startup, um, you know, my company as a VC may have some qualms with with investing in you. So, you know, if you have an uncle that's willing to give you five five thousand dollars, just sort of, sort of think about that. You know, um, you, you can't really accept everyone's money all the time, but you know, it, it is understandable that you know you you do need a place to start right. in, in the beginning. Um, okay. So that's the friends and family round, and like you said, the seed round can be anywhere from you know one or two thousand dollars all the way up to. I've seen seed rounds as high as maybe $750,000 or a million dollars. So how would one know the difference? And if I'm approaching um, either an angel or an invest, a VC, mm-hmm. you know, is there a distinction? Is there a red flag that somebody will say like, okay, I only invest in, you know, very small thousand dollar pop 
type feels or, you know, how, how would I know the difference in the seed stage? Yeah. So, so most investors have a range that they like to invest in. Something you could always do is go to crunchbase.com. Okay. So for instance, I work for a firm, I'm going to work for a firm called Stripes Group. Okay. Um, and if you go to Stripes Group, um, if you type in Stripes Group on Crunchbase, you can see that, you know, the lowest Stripes will invest is 15 million and the highest will invest is 60 million. So just like that, there's angel investors on Crunchbase mm-hmm. and you can see, sort of see what range they like to invest in. Right. Um, and also, you know, early stage venture capitalists as well. So you can type in the name of their firm and sort of see the range. And usually they have sort of an investment um, sort of thesis or page uh, where they'll say, hey, we're an early stage firm. We do investments from, you know, 10,000 to, you know, maybe 100,000. So it's really about doing your research on who yeah. you're asking money from. And then even before that, um, a lot of um, incubators and accelerators do do um, do seed funding as well. So you mentioned sort of angel investors; those come in sort of the early stage when you just start to start to maybe start a company from the ether, and it's just you and me that hey, let's start a company stage. Okay. Um, you know, uh, a lot of uh, a lot of sort of incubators and accelerators are around sort of sort of for that time. I think the most popular ones, so sort of. I guess uh, I hate to go tears here, but maybe the A-level incubators and accelerators are, you know, Y Combinator, Techstars, um, but there's so many out there right. that, that are willing to help. And really just, you know, Googling around, you know, accelerators or incubators in your area, it's great to sort of have that network and share ideas. And you'll find that it'll really help your startup blossom and grow over time. Right. So can we talk a little bit about what a uh, what growth funding is? I've heard that term thrown around, but I'm not necessarily sure, you know, is that... You know, going from friends and family to crowdfunding? Is that going from C to A? What is growth funding? Yeah, so I think it's best to talk about that through a narrative. So, you know, if you and me are at that, hey, let's start a company stage, let's say maybe we did Techstars, right? Okay. And so, you know, we gave a certain amount of equity. Techstars is, a, you know, an incubator accelerator. So we gave a certain amount of equity. Um, we gave away a certain amount of equity for capital. Mm-hmm. And then let's say maybe we, we had a few angel investors along the way. So at that point... You know, we have a product and then we went through early stage venture capital. Um, So at that stage, you know, we've developed the product. We're just starting to attract customers. We're just starting to attract. um, We're just starting to sort of build build on revenue. Um, And at that point, you know, the venture capital, um, you know, you go from seed uh, to series A and series B. Mm -hmm. And, you know, series A and series B, usually it's around anywhere from, uh, you know, a million to a little bit south of 15 million. Um, so you'd be really surprised. I've talked with a lot of companies that have raised over $10 million and don't have a CFO or, you know, aren't sure if their business is going to be around in a few months. You know, a, a lot of crazy things happen just because your company has $10 million in revenue or has raised $10 million. It doesn't mean you've solved all the problems in the world with your business. Mm-hmm. But once you pass that threshold, once you've raised $10 million or, um, you know, have $10 million in revenue, right? Um, you sort of enter a stage where, you need to be attractive to the markets later on. And when I say markets, I just mean potentially you can IPO or do an, an initial public offering like we saw Snapchat to, or maybe you're an attractive company to, you know, someone like Walmart, you know, that bought Jet last year mm. uh, for a lot of money. So those are the two ways venture capital uh, firms exit their money. Um, so when you talk about growth equity, um, it's really, it's just another term for late stage investing. Um, and late stage meaning, not early stage, not early stage, meaning 
over $15 million or series C, series D. Um, and that's, that's what the firm I'm going to actually does. So they, they, um, they do a ton of late stage investing for companies like, uh, you know, Blue Apron Group is one of the investments, mm-hmm. uh, Pond5, Reformation. Okay. So if you could highlight maybe like the top two, three things that I or anyone reading your book, Break Into VC, would get, what do you think, you know, your top three takeaways would be? Yeah, so I've been lecturing around the country. This week I lectured at University of South Carolina, uh, Brown University, Harvard. Uh, anyone listening, if, if, you're, you know, if you're in California, you know, next week I'm going to be at USC, UCLA, Berkeley, and Stanford. Um, what I really talk about is, is brand building, right? Okay. So if you were to Google my name and Bitcoin, uh, a ton of articles would come up. Yes, uh, it did. <laughs> uh, so, so last year... Um, I got super interested in Bitcoin. Okay. And I worked for a company called Coindesk. Mm -hmm. Coindesk is sort of like the, call it maybe the New York Times of Bitcoins. Anything you want to know, anyone just goes to Coindesk. Um, They didn't have a research arm. So Coindesk at that point was basically a blog and they would say the price of Bitcoin is this. This happened today. That happened today. But they had all this data, right? They had all these patent informations, funding levels. Um, So I came in and I was actually able to head their research team as a senior um, at Columbia. And I developed something called the state of blockchain, uh, which was just a quarterly update of trends, data, you know, general insights in the industry. Um, So you'd look back and you'd see how Bitcoin was performing, how the latest startups were doing, any updates on regulation. So outside of the book, I sort of became the blockchain guy or the Bitcoin guy, Um, you know, and, and, you know, like earlier this week on Monday, I just lectured in South Carolina um, for a blockchain class and I have entrepreneurs reaching out to me and I talk to investors about blockchain a lot. Um, so, 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 so in general, you know, if you're into venture capital or, or you're into startups, um, you know, something really great that you can do is you don't need a coin desk. You can just publish a lot of this stuff on Medium mm-hmm. and use that as your platform and sort of be the X guy, the drone guy, the AI guy. And it's very easy to do. I walk through the, in the book, I walk through how to um, pitch a company. Mm-hmm. And if you just use that framework, so you start with the market, mm-hmm. you start with the level of funding, and then you deep dive into the company, you Google around. So maybe you're looking at a drone company, you know, and you type in, oh, this drone company hired this person, they announced this deal. You'll actually be able to come up with a pretty comprehensive analysis of a business. Mm-hmm. And that's really what, um, you know, VCs do every Monday or Tuesday morning. They talk about the latest businesses. Yeah. So you putting that stuff on Medium for free really builds value. Um, I'd say that's probably the most important topic in the book. And then, and then some key terms as well that you should know to quote unquote speak VC. Right. And is this intended for people who are looking for VC capital or people who are looking to become VCs themselves? Both. Yeah. Okay. So what's really important is learning how to think like an investor. So I've talked with, I've talked with entrepreneurs who have said this book was extremely helpful. I've talked with C-level executives at startups, even at enterprise companies like IBM. And mm-hmm. I've talked with, you know, college and business school students as well. And the whole idea of the book 
you know, is to sort of develop the mindset of an investor. Mm -hmm. So if you and me start a company and we know how to speak like investors and we know all the terminology that that comes into investing, we're going to be that much better on a phone call. If you, if, if you come to me and you know, your customer acquisition cost, you know, your customer lifetime value, um, you know, your churn rate and your burn rate, you know, you understand sort of these key terms. Um, you're really going to wow investors. And even if they don't invest, that's going to be a lasting relationship for right. like three, four years. A lot of people don't realize that. Like just because you get a no doesn't mean it's the end of the relationship, mm-hmm. you know? Um, as long as you impress one of these guys, you know, um, the relationship lasts for a really long time. And, you know, there's plenty of investors that have turned down people multiple times just because it wasn't the right company. Um, they're just looking for, um, you know, the right person. And yeah. once they find them, um, they're, you know, definitely willing to invest eventually. So you talk about knowing the right lingo, you know, for investors of color, particularly black and Latino founders, um, all too often, I think the lingo is the, the, the missing piece, right? Because they understand the business. They've been, you know, uh, in their field for X amount of years. They've been working on their projects or their products for X amount of years. But when it comes to speaking to investors, um, they're not sure what they did wrong or they're not sure if they were as clear or as effective. So from, from your vantage point, being on the other side, um, how or what advice would you give to founders of color specifically um, when it comes to talking to angels, VCs? Yeah, that, that, that's a really great question. Uh, um, so you mentioned you mentioned just you know knowing the lingo and the terms. Mm-hmm. I'd say that's pretty crucial. So know, like if you have a tech business, know what gross margins are. So mm. gross margins. Are so you, the top, you know, so if you look at an income statement, the top line of the income statement is um, revenue, and then you subtract the direct costs that go into producing that revenue, mm-hmm. and then you have gross profit. Okay. And gross margins is the the ratio between gross profit and revenue. So you should understand that typical gross margins for a tech business are like seventy five or eighty five percent. Right. Right. So when a VC asks, "Hey, what's your gross margins?" You know you should sort of be able to benchmark your gross margins and understand that for tech companies, it's it's sort of that high mm-hmm. compared to a company like uh, Deloitte or Accenture, which, um, you know, Deloitte or Accenture, you know, their gross margins are around 25% because the direct costs are people. They're hiring a lot of people and they're scaling people. But with a tech company, you're scaling technology. So those direct costs are hosting infrastructure. So that, you know, that's GoDaddy. That's all this... That's AWS. That's all these services. But with Deloitte, those costs are like, you know, hundred to you know two hundred thousand dollars to pay these people. So that's why VCs generally invest in tech companies and not, you know, uh, consulting companies. Okay, understood. Now, outside of your book, where can I go to learn more about venture capitalism? Learn more about investments. Learn more about you know funding in general for my tech business. Yeah. So I honestly didn't have too much. So, um, I started my own community. So I was at Columbia and there wasn't a community. So I started Columbia Venture Partners and Mm -hmm. I taught students everything I knew about venture capital at the time, which ended up being the early chapters of the book. What is venture capital? What is growth equity, which we went over how to pitch a company, which is in the book. And then through that, I really built a strong community and a lot of people, don't realize that like that gives you an excuse to run around and 
you know, talk to partners, you know, talk to VCs all over the country, you know, and then say, hey, you know, you've built this community. Do you want to come and speak? By the way, I have these brilliant, you know, students that, you know, would love to, you know, work for you and learn from you. Um, so that's generally how I started. And then um, through that, I really just scoured the internet. There was really no guide on like, this is venture capital. This is how to invest. This is how to do X or Y. Um, so I kind of wrote it, you know, break into VC. Okay. But uh, aside from my book, I would say one of the most helpful things is just going to meetups. Uh, if you can... Exposure is really important. Yeah, exposure. If you can, um, I would say do things like ProtoHack where, you know, if you don't code, um, do things like ProtoHack where um, you could sort of go to a hackathon and just talk about your ideas with people. Um, so a colleague of mine, Ariel Lopez, she has a group mm. called 2020 Shift, right, yeah. uh, where she sort of does, um, you know, sort of like office walks or does a lot of recruiting as well. She has a great blog. Um, I used to write for another blog called uh, People of Color in Tech. Um, yeah. So they, they do a series of interviews, uh, you know, with, with folks in the industry. So you could sort of get a case study or an idea of how they did it. Okay. Um, so there's a lot of resources out there. I would say, you know, People of Color in Tech is great. Um, you know, uh, 2020 shift. And if you're interested in the fundamentals of, um, you know, venture capital, break into VC is great as well. And um, if anyone picks it up, you could email Bradley at break into VC and I'll happily hop on a 20 minute Skype call with you. Perfect. 20 or 30 minutes. I like that. And we're gonna hold you to it. Thanks for listening. Make sure you subscribe to us on iTunes so you can stay up to date on new episodes featuring more insiders. Have any questions? Leave us a comment on this episode at bccheatsheet.com or you can tweet us at the Cued. that's T-H-E-C-U-E-E-D. Until next time, be great and it's a wrap.